Welcome to season two of Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series from Partners Connected Health. I'm your host, Joe Kavidar. Join me as we embark on another exciting season of interesting and thought-provoking conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators who are redefining the future of technology-enabled health and wellness. As I discussed at length in my latest book, The New Mobile Age, How Technology Will Enhance the Lifespan and Optimize the Health Span, we have got to change our perception, our attitude towards, and the role of older adults in order to get these individuals and help them remain vital, engaged, and independent. At the same time, I firmly believe that technology will offer important solutions that will allow us to shift from a one-to-one care model to a one-to-many model to make up for the shortage of healthcare providers. It's no secret that our society is aging and we're not prepared for it. Our healthcare system already struggling to provide quality care to those who need it will soon be overwhelmed by this silver tsunami. Just think that by 2020, not that far off, for the first time ever, the number of people 65 plus will outnumber those under five years old. And that trend continues. By 2050, the number of people over 65 will triple, triple to 1.5 billion. So when you think about it that way, that's a number of interesting implications on care delivery. Fortunately, there are many talented people who are thinking about this and finding solutions to help people live better throughout their entire lifespan. And my next guest is one of them. Dr. Ray Dorsey is the David M. Levy Professor of Neurology and Director of the Center for Health and Technology at the University of Rochester Medical Center, where he is helping investigate new treatments for movement disorders and improve the way care is delivered for individuals with Parkinson's disease and other neurological disorders. He also believes, like I do, that technology must play an important role in healthcare delivery, health, and wellness. For example, using a straightforward web-based video conferencing platform, he and his colleagues are seeking to provide care to individuals with Parkinson's and neurological diseases anywhere that they live. Ray helped develop a new iPhone mobile app called mPower, which allows patients with Parkinson's disease to track their symptoms in real time and share this information with researchers. The mPower app was developed using Apple's Research Kit, a software development framework that is designed for researchers to take in information from iPhones. He previously directed the Movement Disorders Division and Neurology Telemedicine at Johns Hopkins and worked as a consultant for McKinsey and Company. He completed his undergraduate studies at Stanford, medical school at the University of Pennsylvania, and business school at the Wharton School. As part of his work at the University of Rochester and in collaboration with West Health, Ray founded the D.Health Summit. Now in its fifth year, the D.Health Summit is a national forum for health and technology leaders, entrepreneurs, senior care advocates, and policymakers to exchange ideas, create new relationships, and foster disruptive technological and process innovations to improve the lives of our aging population. 
I'm privileged to serve on the advisory board for the summit and encourage you all to check out this very important event taking place this coming June right here in Boston. So with that, Ray, welcome to Well Connected. Thank you very much, Joe. Delighted to be with you. So I'm going to start right in with your paper recently. Last year, you published a study, you and your colleagues, uh, it was really the first national randomized controlled clinical trial of telemedicine for Parkinson's disease, and it came out in neurology, exploring how telemedicine can successfully deliver quality care to people with Parkinson's. This is important for a number of reasons, including the fact that 40% of people who have Parkinson's disease do not see a neurologist soon after the diagnosis, placing them at significantly greater risk for falls, leading to hip fractures, ending up in a nursing home or hospital, and, and even death in some cases. So with that backdrop, can you tell us a little bit more about the study, why telemedicine is a good fit for extending care to people with Parkinson's, and what you've identified as some important barriers to adoption? Uh, well, like you and your Center for Connected Care, we think we should bring care to patients instead of patients to care. If you think about it, the way we design care for people with Parkinson's disease or really any chronic condition could not be designed worse. We ask older individuals with impaired mobility and impaired driving ability to be driven by overburdened caregivers to long complex centers at the University of Rochester or at MGH uh, or the Harvard hospitals uh, to receive care. Um, when we healthy clinicians should be connecting to patients on their terms and nothing is more personal and actually more dominant means of providing care than a house call, uh, which was in vogue in the 1930s when 40% of uh, patient physician encounters occurred in the home. And for the last decade, my colleague, Dr. Kevin Biglin and I have been providing care to patients initially in nursing homes and now uh, satellite clinics and directly in their home using web-based video conferencing, much like Skype to connect to them directly in their home. And with support from the from PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, uh, we conducted a the first national randomized control trial of virtual visits. We called it a virtual house call in which uh, patients were randomized to receive their usual care in their community, usual care in Springfield, Massachusetts, usual care in Albany, New York, or to receive their usual care in their community plus virtual visits from a specialist at MGH. Dr. Nick Day Mejia was uh, participated in the study at your institution or from one of my colleagues here at the University of Rochester or from 18 different centers around the country, including Hopkins, Penn, uh, UC San Francisco. And we showed that, first of all, that these virtual visits connecting to patients with Parkinson's directly in their home over web-based video conferencing was one feasible. Over 90% of the 400 visits were completed as scheduled over a year. Uh, two, resulted in no change in their quality of care or quality of life. We hoped that they would have enhanced, but there was no worsening or no uh, undermining of it. And three offered enormous economic value to patients in terms of saving patients and their caregivers 100 miles of travel and three hours of time per visit. In addition, when we asked patients to overall rate their health at the end of the study compared to the beginning of the study, individuals rated that their health was better at the end of the study, or more, more likely to rate their health as better at the end of the study if they had received the virtual house calls. So that's all exciting. So, um, and, and I think you are aware that there are some new reimbursement codes coming down the pike. Any of those relevant to this activity? 
I think no. Uh, I've been looking at them and uh, trying to decipher them. Uh, as you know, we increasingly have the means to deliver care to patients on their terms and deliver patient-centered care. What we really lack is the political will. Mm -hmm. As you point out, there's 50 million Medicare beneficiaries right now. I think by 2020 or 2030, there'll be 70 million Medicare beneficiaries. And Medicare, when it was created in 1965, uh, guaranteed access to, to health care for older Americans at a time when half Americans didn't have that access. And it's done wonders for acute care. If you have an MI, uh, a heart attack, if you have a stroke, if you have cancer, you can uh, be sh feel confident that you can access the care that you need for those acute conditions and not be bankrupt in the process. But if you have a chronic condition, whether it's Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's disease or lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, your ability to access care in 2018 is really limited. Is determined by geography. Do you happen to live near Boston or near the uh, Rochester? Do you happen to be like people who are treated in those clinics? Um, and so uh, for Parkinson's disease, 40% of people with Parkinson's disease aren't seeing a neurologist in their first four years after diagnosis. Hmm. So a neurological condition associated with aging that disproportionately affects Medicare beneficiaries, 40% are not receiving care, uh, appropriate care. And the problem isn't necessarily a shortage of doctors, it's really a lack of will to use technology to increase the reach of those doctors and to enable patients to access care that they otherwise can't simply because of where they live. Yeah, it is uh, it is interesting and I agree with you. The, the only uh, bright light I'll shine on it is that I know there are codes in the review process now that I think you will be able to apply to those virtual house calls. So. They'll probably hit the fee schedule. This is a speculation because I, um, even though I'm on the AMA committee that um, moves some of this forward, actually, no, once it gets out of the CPT process, it's in the uh, hands of uh, a review committee and then uh, Medicaid, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. But we think that in the 2020 fee schedule, there'll be some codes that will uh, support this kind of activity. We're certainly all looking forward to that. Uh, I want to switch gears now and talk a bit about the, and do you say, uh, Ray, the D.Health Summit or the D.Health Summit? How Just do you? D.Health Summit. D.Health Summit. And I know you told me when we first met that D stands for disruptive, not digital. Of course, I immediately thought of digital, so I had to reprogram my brain around that. Um, so I, I'm going to ask you to st sort of start. How, how did you have the vision for the meeting? How did you come by the partnership with West Health and, and give our listeners a little glimpse of what's gonna happen for uh, your meeting in 2018. Sure, so uh, really this is a brainchild of my colleague, uh, Professor Avi Seidman, a, a professor in the business school here at the University of Rochester. And uh, he knew I'd been working, we have been working a lot together on telemedicine and he thought maybe we should, uh, like you, uh, get the word out to m more people and to different people. And so what the summit really focuses on is bringing together people who normally don't come together. So we assemble leaders uh, from health, from technology, from policy, and from finance, all to come together in a small intimate setting, uh, 150 to 200 people, June 11th in Boston, and uh, so that they can share their ideas and experiences, hear from uh, thought leaders in the field, uh, Dr. David Blumenthal, I used to be a faculty member at Harvard Medical School, uh, was the keynote speaker uh, last year. We're working on a uh, number of great speakers 
for this year's summit or this year, next year's summit will be in 2019, uh, June 11th in Boston, again, representing those uh, four different domains, health, technology, policy, and finance. And we hope uh, that those summits lead to new partnerships. So one will highlight, I think in your book, as you highlight Honor, this uh, home health care company led by Seth Sternberg in Silicon Valley, which is trying to marry uh, higher wages for home health aides. Most home health aides earn minimum wage or close to it to pay them more to in, uh, invest in technology, to be accompanied about around the quality high touch care they provide, to provide uh, reliable home health care to people throughout uh, Northern California. And he came and spoke at our first uh, summit and there he met Bruce Leff, one of our colleagues who's a geriatrician at Johns Hopkins and he met Carol Raphael, who was the chair of ARP at the time and they soon ended up joining his company as advisors to bring different perspectives uh, to his you know, Silicon Valley startup, uh, to bring perspectives of those that are embedded in the health arena and those embedded in the policy arena to inform their growth uh, and pleased to see that their company has uh, been thriving and expanding to different markets. So we hope that that's just one example of the types of things that can uh, come out of it. We were pleased to feature uh, your uh, great book, The New Mobile Age, in our D-Health Digest that goes out to about 15,000 leaders in health and technology. Uh, we had our, our colleague in common, uh, the chief medical officer of uh, AARP, uh, spoke at last year's summit and has been a wonderful addition in terms of informing our thinking going forward. Well, I can say firsthand, I've, I've been to, I haven't been to all of them, but I've been to all but one, I think. And, 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 and indeed, as you say, the relationships that one forms at these are, are quite unique. I, I uh, was on a panel with uh, an individual whose uh, vision is better housing for uh, this market. So it, it's really quite a, a unique group uh, for sure. I, I also would just mention that uh, for listeners who who haven't uh, heard, uh, Bruce Leff was a guest on this podcast, and you can go back through and pick up that podcast and listen to it. He's he's done a nice job as well on uh, on this in this very medium. And people can learn more about the speakers and uh, that have confirmed already for this year's summit at dhealthsummit.org. Uh, and if people are uh, interested in speaking, we're still putting together the program and the agenda. We'd be delighted to hear from them. And similarly, if there are people listening who are interested in sponsoring the summit, uh, we have a pre-summit dinner at the Boston Public Library uh, for speakers, sponsors, and special guests. Special uh, guests. Speaking of, of uh, uh, Avi Seidman, to, uh, get to know uh, one I believe you and he published a policy paper, uh, meet, for example, uh, which I believe is called "Successful Aging like in 2030: Charting a Course." Uh, in which you address such issues as longevity, economy, aging in place, new technologies, age bias senior-specific models of care, holistic care, and public policy. Can you give us a synopsis of that report uh, and talk about how, if at all, things have evolved in the past year? Yes, yeah, so uh, this past report uh, was a in partnership with West Health, who's been for the last two to three years, has been our partner in uh, developing the D-Health Summit. They're a not-for-profit uh, institute based in San Diego, California, led by Shelley Lightford, 
who's completely focused on uh, the needs of older population, especially the needs of older populations without financial resources, with limited financial resources. And they've done a tremendous job of coming up with creative uh, new models of care, including a dental clinic focused on uh, many uh, older individuals who lack access to dental care. And I think the first geriatric emergency room uh, of its kind in San Diego. And the pause report really highlights the issues that you highlighted at the top is that we are in the wave in the face of a silver tsunami that as a Professor Linda Freed from uh, Columbia University has identified that this is the first time we have had uh, this challenge in the history of humanity, where a large proportion of our population is over 65. And in some countries, including the US, as you point out at the outset, there'll be more people over 65 than under five or under 18. And the technological revolution that we're in the midst of right now has enabled us to deliver and reach people in new and very powerful ways. But some of the major challenges to adopting these technologies come around to policy uh, issues, including Medicare reimbursement and coverage for telehealth, including interoperability of medical records, including addressing this, uh, social determinants of health. Uh, so we in the US provide a lot of money uh, on healthcare, 40% more per capita than any other country, but we underfund, relatively speaking, social services. So Melanie Bella, who's one of our speakers at, at last year's summit and this year's summit at CityBlock is trying to, to marry social and health services to care for older adults who are at the greatest need of health and social services. And so those are some of the policy challenges and we put forth some recommendations to address those. But really the major thing is that we, largely older adults and society as a general have been quiet on this issue. Uh, even beyond the 50 million Medicare beneficiaries, 40 million adults in the United States care for another adult as a, as a, a caregiver. So this is like a daughter caring for her father with Parkinson's disease. There's 40 million adults who are caring for uh, generally older adults with disabling, often neurodegenerative conditions, and they're struggling. Uh, but they're suffering in silence. And until that silence ends, until people stand up and speak out and say, we need help, or this is not what we bought in for, or you know, I've been paying into social security, I've been paying into Medicare, I've been paying into pensions, and we're not deploying our resources in ways that meet the needs of us, everyday Americans. Until that happens, I think we're gonna be really having a lot of people, including our friends and uh, many of your listeners, burdened and suffering with these chronic conditions that are affecting either themselves, their spouses, or increasingly frequently their parents. And if people want to read that report in more in depth, where can they find it, uh, Ray? They can go to dhealthsummit.org and they can find it uh, there and um, also can just contact us uh, directly. We're happy to send them a copy of that. Great, great. Well, I, I love asking this uh, next question because uh, it helps me inform my thinking. Um, you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the silver economy uh, and opportunities for technology, innovation, and creative change. Those, those things constitute our, our common interest, right, that draws us together. Uh, so I love asking, where do you see the future of healthcare going 
and specifically, how do we help older adults face a variety of challenges in, a, in, in living happy, healthy, productive lives in the next five to 10 years? What are the trends, opportunities, and challenges uh, we can expect to face? I think the dominant trend that we're going to see is a migration of care from institutions, hospitals, and clinics to home and mobile devices. The dominant trend will be migration of care away from institutions. Lots of evidence for this. Over the last 20 years, the number of hospital admissions has largely been constant in the U.S. Number of outpatient visits has increased by 80%. Number of uh, house calls that Medicare has paid for, very limited funding for that has like increased or like doubled over the last 20 years. Uh, so that's what we're seeing in healthcare. If you look at other industries, you see it clearly. So the easy one is banking. So uh, I always ask when I give a talk, how many people, how many listeners, raise your hand if you've seen a bank teller in the last 30 <laughs> days. And then I ask how many people have banked from home and how many people have banked on a mobile device in the last 30 days. And so you've seen financial services move from institutions, banks to ATMs to banking at home, to now banking on mobile devices. You see the same thing with travel services. You're seeing the same thing in retail sector. I think you're gonna see the same thing in healthcare. Uh, even in the absence of uh, payment reform, we're seeing elements of that. You can look at CVS uh, Health's uh, purchase of Aetna. Uh, Dr. Troy Brennan, former faculty member of Harvard Medical School and a keynote speaker at last year's D Health Summit is the chief medical officer for CVS Health. They clearly are betting that care is going to move out of institutions uh, to closer to patients, not quite to the home, but to uh, CVS uh, health stores, which are within 10 miles, I think 10 miles or 10 minutes of 85% of the U.S. population. So I think the dominant trend will be migration of care away from institutions, expensive institutions, industrial institutions, depersonal, dehumanizing sometimes institutions uh, to more personal, convenient uh, patient-centered uh, institutions, including the home and eventually mobile devices. Yeah, uh, and, and, and it's just a footnote on CVS. I think, yes, they store traffic's important to them. They also, ha as you know, have virtual minute clinic now, and uh, they're, they're, they're definitely putting their toe in the water of uh, delivering services right on the mobile device. Uh, and their mobile app uh, uh, is pretty good. We, we have a relationship with them. We're all... Uh, our, all of our pharmacy benefits as employees at Partners is through them, and it's pretty good. Um, so they're, they're trying, I would say, to get there. They're even interested in remote monitoring of chronic illness in the home. So uh, I give them credit for uh, trying, and, and Walgreens as well, um, all the payers. So you know, just to echo what you said, everyone's moving in that direction. It's one of the things I find interesting is that wasn't that long ago, at least in my memory, that... I would have, I would say that very thing and the executive across the table, pick your sector, provider, payer, uh, would, would engage with me around it, but then start challenging me about, well, wait a minute, how's ROI gonna work? How's, and now they all just feel like they're gonna be left behind if they don't get in. So uh, it's really changed. It's a fear of missing out now as opposed to a a careful scrutiny. And uh, I mentioned earlier reimbursement codes, they're coming. There's a whole bunch of new codes coming in 2019. There'll be more in 2020. So gradually you see this world unfolding. And as you say, it makes complete sense. We're, we've moved 
every other service we consume away from brick and mortar predominantly to uh, mobile and uh, Maybe the future uh, is is uh, what they used to call click and mortar, right? So you do have some some uh, f- physical entities, but you do a lot in mobile. And I know we I, I, uh, at Partners Healthcare are just starting the journey of presenting ourselves to our patients and our consumers as a mobile uh, or rather digital. Entity. I wonder, maybe last question before we wrap up, what's going on at the University of Rochester? Are they likewise embracing this idea that we have to be a, a, a digital, have a digital channel for our patients? Yes, I think the challenge uh, is the innovator's dilemma. Yes, uh, for, it sure is. I suppose like the University of Rochester, for Harvard, yeah. uh, for MPH, for Brigham and Women's, their economics are largely driven by care provided in the hospitals. Right. Uh, in Parkinson's disease, uh, Medicare pays thirteen dollars to $17,000 for a hip replacement mm. for a mm-hmm. fall and pays $100 for a follow-up visit for Parkinson's disease and nothing for a virtual house there call. So the, uh, to them, just to gen- institutions, academic medical centers in general, uh, the economics, the return on investment is still so much higher and so much clearer and so much easier from another hip replacement, another knee replacement from an ICU admission than it is from telehealth, which is as disruptive as Clayton Christian points out, entering oftentimes at the lower end of the market, at lower cost, lower reimbursement, non-reimbursed. Uh, service. So they struggle, uh, institutions do. Um, we've created at, at University of Rochester something called Parkinson's Disease Care New York, uh, pdcny.org. Any New Yorker with Parkinson's disease can receive care from us for free. Any New Yorker with Parkinson's disease can receive care from us uh, for free uh, through by going to pdcny.org. Uh, uh, this is funded through the uh, Greater Rochester Health Foundation and a Parkinson's Foundation called the Safra Foundation. We're caring for 300 New Yorkers. Average age is over 70. The oldest is in their 90s. Uh, 50% of them are uh, live in health professional shortage areas. 20% of them are homebound. Uh, so the University of Rochester is doing some very innovative things in terms of uh, reaching out to Western New Yorkers. I think the goal, the vision, is that anyone in Western New York sh- should be able to access care from the University of Rochester, regardless of who they are, where they live. And again, we have the means to do so. I mean, 25 years ago, we didn't have the means. The only means was to drive to receive care at Harvard Medical School or at the University of Rochester. Now we have the means to have clinicians at Harvard Medical School, at the University of Rochester, connect to patients, regardless of who they are or where they live. And the only barrier is internet access, which is increasingly common and increasingly available. So there's an immense opportunity for medicine, you know, we're both doctors, to address lots of social wrongs and lots of social inequities of the past and the present. And technology can allow us to reach people who previously were unreachable to us. And the only question is whether we have the will will to do so. Well, that is a good high note to leave it, Ray. Your your work's inspiring, and we thank you for spending some time with us. And I know our listeners are going to really enjoy our conversation, so thanks very much. Joe, thanks very much, and thanks for all the great and pioneering work you're doing. Thanks for listening to Well Connected with Dr. Joe Kavita. A special thanks for me personally to 
Tony McMillan, our engineer, and Lynn Josephson, our senior marketing manager for putting this series together. If you enjoyed our show and want to know more, visit our website at partners.org forward slash connected health, all one word. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Connected Health. For more episodes of our series, search Partners Connected Health on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.